Well, good morning, family. We're all going to die. Hopefully not right now. That'd be good. But we all are, sometime. And uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. It's George Bernard Shaw who has the famous quote that the statistics on death have not changed. One out of every one person will die. 56.6 million people will die this year. That's two deaths per second. And you're probably sitting there going, Tom, this is a great way to close out the series. Can't we just bring back those happy youth pastors on stage? They were nice. We'll tolerate another sermon from Kurt on sex or money. Can we just not talk about death? And We don't like to talk about death. My wife hates to talk about death, which just makes me want to talk about it all the more. Um, I'll say terrible things to my wife like, honey, you know when I die, I want you to cremate me take some of my ashes, place it in the coffee served at my funeral. Therefore, everybody could take a little of me home. I just think that's, I know that's wrong, but that's funny. That's funny. (laughs) Yep. And you may be sitting there and you say, you know, Tom, I'm a Christian. I do not fear death. Bring it on. And, and, uh, and I get that, but, but I bet you fear the way in which you might die. Um, I mean, none of us want to go out like the early Christian martyrs. None of us want to be, you know, torn apart by wild animals or boiled in oil or just go out like Elvis on the toilet. Nobody wants that. And, um, you know, it's, we, we can try and avoid death. We, we can try and prolong our life, but death is inevitable. And all jokes aside for a sec, death is awful. It is. It's a high price to pay. It's death hurts. Maybe your death doesn't hurt, but the death of a loved one close to you, well, that's a pain that takes a while to deal with. And Paul starts his letter to the Corinthian church by talking about death, about the crucifixion of Jesus. And then he decides to end his letter, as we end this series this morning, talking about a life after death, all because of a resurrection. Now, the resurrection, that is the climax of the Christian narrative. Paul says this in chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is where we'll be, starting in verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Now, before we go any further, let's just break down what is the gospel. Okay. Now, Paul's going to tell you in uh, future uh, scriptures coming up, but I'll just tell you ahead of time. The gospel is this, that, that there was Jesus and he lived. And then Jesus died. He was buried. And then three days later after he was buried, he got back up. And he started walking around, resurrected for the next 40 days until he ascended into heaven. Now, the word gospel itself... It comes from the ancient Greek word, which means good news. And without the last part of the claim, it's really not good news, okay? It's just Jesus lived, he died, was buried. If that's where it stopped, it wouldn't be good news. No, what makes it good news is that he resurrected. And uh, and if he didn't resurrect, then Paul says, "Then, then we have believed in vain. In other words, there's no point in us being here today. I mean, no point me being up here, you being down there. You should just go home. You should bake a pie. Maybe bring me back a piece of that pie because I like pie. 
But other than that, there's no reason to be here this morning if he did not resurrect. Because there's nothing to talk about if Jesus did not get up from the grave. In fact, there's no such thing as Christianity till after a resurrection. I mean, before the resurrection, people just assumed dead people stayed dead. They didn't get back up and start walking around. No, in fact, if you think about it, it's the resurrection that makes us Christians. In other words, we're not Christians because we follow some, some guy back in the first century who had some really good teachings. I mean, he was really smart, really wise, really kind, and we love you know, those teachings. That's why it makes us a Christian. We're not a Christian because um, Jesus did some cool party tricks and some great miracles and you know, was just a, a nice healer. No. What makes us Christians is a united belief in a historical event. In other words, we believe that somewhere along the line of chronology that a man died and then three days later came back to life. What unites us as Christians is the belief that that was a part of history and it changed the world. That's what unites us, a resurrection. And um, Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians. Now, Now, Paul doesn't argue too much the parts of the gospel. You know, in fact, most people don't argue the gospel. In other words, no one argues the first parts, that Jesus lived. In fact, there's more evidence that Jesus walked the earth than dinosaurs ever did. So you're not going to find a reputable scholar that goes, Jesus wasn't a real guy. No, we all know he was a real guy and that he existed in the first century and he walked around Israel. We know that part. And no one's really going to argue with you that Jesus was executed by the Romans. I mean, there's plenty of other historical documents, even outside the Bible, that talk about this man being executed by the Romans and that he was indeed killed. Okay? They, you know, they, no one argues that he was beaten, he was bruised. I mean, you watch the Passion of the Christ, it's rated R for a reason. It had this brutal death, hung on the cross, suffocated. And then just to make sure he's dead, they run a spear into his heart. He's dead. And nobody really argues the part of the gospel that he was buried Sure enough, they acknowledged he was dead. They wrapped him in over 100 pounds of cloths and, and uh, ointments. And, and then they put him in a tomb and rolled a big boulder to secure it. Even had Roman guards standing there to secure the tomb. No one argues that he was buried. The problem comes in with, what did he indeed, three days later, get back up? That, that's the, that changes everything if that happens. That makes it good news. That makes it something worth talking about. And so Paul, he writes this letter to Christians, to church people in Corinth, to this church he planted. And the thing is, the people there, they're not struggling so much with the idea that Jesus rose from the grave. They get that part. It's the part after that. Is Jesus then powerful enough to do something in my life? Can he raise me from the grave? Can he give me a new body like he promised? Can he give me a new existence in paradise? Can he conquer death on my behalf? And, and Paul's audience struggles with this. Well, mostly because they're, they come from a Jewish or Greek background. In other words, the Jews... They didn't know what to do with life after death. In fact, many of the Jews, there's a division called the Sadducees. They believe there's no such thing as life after death. And then the ones who believed that there was life after death, well, they believed it was kind of more of a shadowy type existence, nothing to get really excited about. And then you had the Greeks. You have Corinth, the city of Corinth, which is just outside of the capital city of Athens in Greece. And, and, uh, and the Greeks, well, they believed that, one, you don't 
talk about having bodies or new bodies because they just believe the body is evil. The body is sinful. The body is a tomb for the soul. And, and so it doesn't really matter what you do in the body. In fact, when you die, the soul is then released from the body. But even then, it's not too exciting. It just goes into this eternal um, resting kind of existence with the rest of the universe. And so the Greeks were not very excited about death. Their thought was, it doesn't get any better than this. So... Might as well heap on the extra portions of food. Let's just keep eating. Might as well keep the wine flowing. We'll keep drinking and get drunk in the process and lose our pants in the process. Why not? Because all morality is out the window. It gets no better than this. And so then Paul's talking about, no, no, no. There's a life after death, and it's better than this. And that Jesus could resurrect from the dead, and his promises are true for you. And for them, it just seemed too good to be true. That this could get better. Too good to be true. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you go, Tom, I'll be honest, this just sounds like fantasy. This just sounds like myth. This just sounds like story. That somebody really died and three days later got up and walked around for another 40 days. And I mean, it just seems like stories people made up. And and maybe you've wrestled with this. Maybe you even... um, talk to Christians, and you, and you ask Christians some really logical and intellectual questions, and maybe you feel like all you got back were Sunday school answers, and you didn't really argue it with them because those Christians seemed really passionate about what they believed in, but their answers weren't very good, and that's about as good as they could come up with. Maybe that's all they knew, but, but if that's you, if you're wondering whether or not to, if you can even grasp this, why do people even believe in this? It makes no sense. This message is for you. And if you're sitting there and you go, Tom, I totally believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Well, guess what? Paul wrote this letter to Christians. Not because they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but because they forgot about the power behind their belief. And this message is for you as well. You see, this morning I want to have an intellectual conversation. I think somewhere along the line we got this misnomer that in order to be a Christian, you have to lose all intelligence. In order to have faith, you know, you have to, you know, get rid of the logical and, and not be an intellectual, and, and, uh, which I find highly ironic. Because when you go back into history, when you look at the founders of modern science, they were Christians. But when you go back into history and philosophy, some of the greatest minds, uh, philosophers and historians and so forth, were Christians. And so if anything, I think Christianity gets to stake a claim on intelligence. But I want to have an intelligent conversation with you this morning. You see, maybe down the line, somebody said, hey, that's great, you're a Christian. But uh, we all know the resurrection didn't happen. You know, it was just a story. It was a story that got out of hand. In other words, um, that, that perhaps over time, the people didn't start writing and talking about Jesus being resurrected till many decades away from the actual event. In other words, they needed something to kind of keep this movement going. They needed something um, to to press their own agenda, to make themselves look good. It it goes something like this, that that, uh, scholars, we can agree that Jesus died around 32 AD, okay? No one's really going to argue that. He lived and that he was executed about 32 AD. And, And then they can go like this, and let's take the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, which writes and talks a lot about a resurrected Jesus, well, it wasn't written until about 80, 90 AD. And that's a gap of about 58 years. And you can go, see, Tom, 60 years, decades after decades, P- 
People can make this up. John can make this up. Maybe John didn't even write it. You know, they could start, Jesus was a cool guy, but they wanted to make him out to be more than he was. And they, they'd argue that no one was talking about the resurrection in 32 AD. In fact, it didn't happen until decades later. And they started making this stuff up and they wanted to keep this thing going. And so then you get this whole idea that he didn't just die, that he rose again from the grave. And that's an interesting idea. Here's the problem, or one of many, but here's the big problem. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says in verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul writes this down, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, here's the deal. The facts line up for a resurrection. Let me show you how. No reputable scholar is going to try and argue that Paul was a real person. Nope. They'll all give you, Paul was a real person. He existed in the first century. And, uh, and, and they'll all agree, and he was pivotal in the spreading of Christianity. So this guy was real. He existed then. And then in our Bibles, we have a collection of about 13 letters that Paul wrote. There's, he wrote more letters, but in our Bible, we, we have a collection of about 13 of those letters. And you can make an argument that six out of those 13 letters, maybe Paul did not write. You can do that. However, seven of those letters remain undisputed. No reputable scholar will argue that seven of those 13 letters, Paul from the first century indeed did write those letters. One of those undisputed letters, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, we know that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, somewhere between 50 and 60 A.D. Most scholars will go ahead and place it about 55 A.D. So all of a sudden, and we just read part of it where he's talking about a resurrection, we've gone from about six decades to about two decades after the resurrection or the event, the claimed event, and Paul's talking about it very openly. Now, more than that... Paul says, for what I received, I passed on to you. I passed it on to you. In other words, he's going, remember when we had that conversation about the resurrection? The, you know, we're talking about it now, but remember when we first talked about it? Well, when did they first talk about it? Well, we know Paul in 52 AD, that's when he went to Corinth. That's when he planted a church, and he planted a church based off a resurrected Lord. Going, hey, you should follow this guy, Jesus, because 20 years ago, he came alive from the grave and proved he was who he said he was. And now we're solidly within two decades. But even more than that, he goes, for what I received, I passed on to you. In other words, Paul's going, I just told you what was told to me. Well, when was it told to Paul? Well, thanks to another undisputed book called the book of Galatians, Paul talks about meeting with eyewitnesses. He talks about staying with the apostle Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, who both claimed to eyewitness see a resurrection. And he stayed with them for 15 days. And, and the book of Galatians lets us know that it was around 40 A.D. that Paul hung out for 15 days with Peter, James, eyewitnesses of the account. And more than that, this undisputed book of Galatians, Paul tells us that three years prior than that, that he himself saw the resurrected Jesus. So within five years of the actual event... People are still talking about a resurrected Jesus. And the evidence and the facts line up that it wasn't something made up over decades. No, in fact, it's something that changed the world around 32 A.D. And Paul says, you can take my word for it, or let's look at some more facts. Let's look at that family members, that doubters and enemies of Jesus all ended up believing that he was resurrected 
from the grave. All of them, family, doubters, and enemies. He says, let's just talk about it. Look, Jesus appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Peter. Why bring up Peter? Well, we know that before the resurrection, Peter denied Jesus. Sure, he was his friend leading up to he got arrested, he got killed. He's like, I do not know that guy. I don't want any part of it. And then all of a sudden, three days later, something changes. Peter can't shut up about how much he knows and loves Jesus. And then he says, and then he appeared to the 12. Well, why bring up the 12 apostles that Jesus selected? Because prior to a resurrection, 12 of them, they're all hiding. They're hiding out. They saw that Jesus arrested. They saw him crucified. They're going, this could happen to us. Let's get out of here. Let's hide before they figure out we've been following him. But then something happens. Three days later, they're out in public. They can't shut up about how much they know Jesus and how much alive they've seen Jesus. And then Paul brings up, he says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, which, by the way, implies that they'll be waking up. He says, fact check me. You can do it. We're only 20-some years after the event, and uh, many, most of them are still alive. They saw him. They saw him standing there. They saw him eating. They saw him talking. They saw him walking around for 40 days. Go ahead. Go into Jerusalem. Many of them were probably the same people who yelled, crucify him. And then days later are following this dead guy walking, hearing whatever he has to say. You ask them, he says. And then he appeared to James. Oh, I bring up James. Well, we know James didn't believe Jesus was the son of God until after he saw him resurrected. All of a sudden, something changes for James, and he becomes one of the first pastors of one of the first churches, and his life takes a different course. And then, then, last of all, he appeared to me, Paul says. Well, why should Paul bring up Paul? Because before 37 AD, Paul killed anybody who said they saw Jesus resurrected, and something changed in Paul. Something unbelievable changed to Paul. It would be like this. It would be like five years after 9-11, Osama bin Laden decides to come out of one of his caves and turn on the camera and say, hey, um, I just want to start off by apologizing. I was wrong. I was wrong to hate America. I was wrong to hate Christians. In fact, I am now a Christian. I'm starting the Osama bin Laden Bible Church uh, Sunday services start this Sunday. Love for you all to be there. And, And we'd have a hard time digesting that. You know what? You're not going to find a reputable scholar that will argue that Paul was crazy. Because when you read his undisputed letters, it's not the writings of a madman. He makes logical arguments, intellectual arguments. No one really argues he was insane because he can't prove it. In fact, it proves otherwise. He's very intelligent. And you're not going to find a reputable scholar that believes Paul was a conscious liar. They all believe that Paul believed what Paul believed. Why? Because his life reflected it. Because before 37 AD, Paul had a plush life. In other words, Paul, he's a Pharisee, he's a celebrity, he's got resources. And all of a sudden, he gives all of that up to become a criminal, to become persecuted, imprisoned, uh, almost killed several times. He goes to places no good Jewish boy goes to tell people that, that they can have a relationship with Jesus because he was resurrected and he has brought back eternal life for us all. Because Paul's life reflected it. 
He says, for I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. And then Paul says this. Whether then it is I or they, those other people who saw it all happen, it's what we all preached. And this is what you believed. In other words, at this point in history, you have Jews, you have Greeks, you have Romans who have all converted to Christianity, who have all decided to believe in the resurrected Jesus. And why? What benefit would it be to them? Because if you exist in the first century and you all of a sudden you go, you know what, now I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, well, then you would lose your job. Or you would be isolated from your family. Or you are now considered a criminal. You could be punished. You could be executed. You could be tortured. And, and if you died and you were a Jew, they just believed you were going straight to hell because you had blasphemed. What benefit would it be? And yet Christianity just continued to grow and grow. Because you don't fear death when you've seen a resurrection. In fact, the nickname... Before they're called Christians, the nickname that everybody gave these people, they called them people of the way. Because the way they lived their life was so different than how everybody else was living. The way they had decided to start living their life was so different than how they had lived the life previously. In fact, they're going, hey, um, I know you're handing out extra portions, but my body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we're going to watch this thing. And, and, uh, you know, don't pour me too many glasses of wine. I don't get drunk anymore. In fact, can you help me find my pants? I'm going to kind of clean that up and... and, uh, (laughs) You know, they just changed. And the way they lived their life was so drastically different that people started taking notice. And you can say, well, Tom, I don't know how to process all that. You've given me a lot of ideas, a lot of things to think about. What if I just don't want to think about them? What if I just want to stay in denial and just go, yeah, I'm sure what you said is great, but, but the resurrection, it still it didn't happen. And Paul talks about that. He says, look, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, they're lost. In other words, without a resurrection, life does not get any better than this. There really is no hope. There's no victory to claim. But then Paul says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And if you were to go back into the original Greek in which this was written, and you get to that part where it says, has indeed been raised, when you see that verb, it's such a strong verb in the Greek, it's, and it shows up seven other times in the passage, and it goes this way. But we know without a shadow of a doubt, the, the evidence is overwhelming. We can't act like we don't know this to be true. We've seen it. We've lived it. We know the resurrection happened. And because, because it happened, it then proves, it proves that we can believe beyond our comprehension. In other words, if you can believe Jesus can raise from the dead and conquer death, death, then, then whatever else God wants to do, he can do, even if it's on your behalf. Because we know the resurrection happened, it proves that heaven is real. We don't have to, to worry about the, those we love in Christ who, who are now, have now passed. Will we see them again? The answer is emphatically yes. That the same guy who conquered death on our behalf conquers death uh, on all those who believe in him. And, and we do get new bodies. We do get a new paradise to live in. That it all lines up to be true. And because it happened, we can have hope. We can have a victory. We can hold on 
to those promises. And we're not lost in our humanity, in our sin. In fact, Paul says it this way, For as an Adam, in our humanity, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Now, we can have an intellectual conversation this morning, but I don't think we even need that. Because I think you already know this to be true. I think there's several reasons why. I think, one, you can sense, you're smart enough to figure out there's something going on bigger than just you. (laughs) You can sense beyond your senses that there's something more out there. There has to be. There has to be some sort of form of meaning and purpose, and you can sense it. I, I think some of you already know this to be true simply because sin is not working out for you. You know, God says he loves us, says this is my will for your life because I love you. And we go, that's great. I want to do this. And it still hasn't worked out the way you want it to. And we start chasing after it, and, and, and we're never satisfied. You know, I, I think some of you know this to be true because you've seen it in the lives of others. Yeah, I know there's some people who call themselves Christians and their lives don't even look like anything they believe. But then there are those, many in this room, you've seen it. They're all in. They believe in a resurrected Jesus. They believe that that power has changed their own lives. And they just laugh more. They just have a peace about them, a joy. See, I think you already know this to be true because there's something unexplainable that's been happening to you. And maybe you don't know what to do with that. Let me just tell you. About once a year, I like to be a declared nerd for the day. Some of you are going, Tom, you were a nerd every day. And it's all right. What I mean is my brother-in-law, Adrian, and I, we, we like to, uh, once a year, we will buy a ticket to one day uh, to attend Tampa Bay Comic-Con. That's right. If you don't know what Comic-Con is, it's a convention for all things comics, sci-fi, medieval, you know, nerd stuff. And, uh, and we'll go, and we'll have a blast. We'll enjoy the day. And last year, we went, and uh, we came out of a fun day of the convention center. And as we're stepping outside the convention center, there we see a group of Christians. And, and you've seen these Christians before. They got these really tall signs, uh, a lot of flames, you know, on these signs, and, you know, black lettering that has phrases like, turn or burn, or sinners are going to hell, and here's a list of all the sinners that are going, and you're probably one of them, and, and just these, these terrible sayings. And, and they always draw an angry crowd. I mean, the police have to be there to keep Keep it civil, and, and uh, they're just yelling at the crowd, just making them more angry, just yelling back and forth. And, and, um, and last year, I, it messed with me, but I didn't know what to do about it. And so I ended up just going home, talking about it, praying about it. And last month, it was the Tampa Bay Comic Con again, so we went for a day and, and enjoyed it, had a great day. And then uh, we came out afterwards, and there they were again, those Christians with the signs, yelling at the crowd. And I don't know what it was this year, but this year, I just couldn't be quiet. And, um, and so I walked over very gently to, to one of the guys who's yelling, and, and I just said, hey, excuse me. I said, what are we trying to accomplish here? He got kind of quiet, and he said, well, we want people to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. <laughs> and, and I said, that's awesome. That's wonderful. I can get on board with that. I agree with that. I said, how's it going? You know, or, like, is your church growing? You know, are people giving their lives here at Comic-Con? He's like, well, it's not our job to see the fruit. It's just our job to do the yelling. And I asked him, I said, well, well, how do you know that you're not accomplishing the opposite of what you actually want to accomplish? He said, well, I'll give you an example. 
He pointed to a young lady on the, the edge of the angry crowd. He said, you see that young lady over there? She's been standing there for 10 minutes. We know she's a lesbian, and we know that God's been working on her heart for the last 10 minutes. I was like, well, okay, well, well how do you know that? Did you talk to her? He's like, oh, no, she don't want to talk to us. I like, okay, I said, well, do you mind if I talk to her? He's like, go, at, go for it. So I did. So I went over, I introduced myself, I asked her her name, and I said, if you don't mind me asking, are you a Christian? She smiles and said, no, no, I'm an atheist. I said, well, I said, you've been standing here the last 10 minutes listening to these guys. Can I just ask you, is there anything they've said or done that makes you want to consider maybe becoming a Christian? No, she said, I'm a people watcher, and these people are awful but very entertaining. And she said, but my mom, she's a Christian. She said, and, and I know she prays for me. I said, well, I just want you to know that I'm a Christian, and, and I also want you to know that what you're seeing here isn't the full picture of who Jesus is. And I just want you to know that. And she said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, what do you think about gays and lesbians? I said, well, I, I believe Jesus loves everyone. And I believe Jesus desperately wants to have a relationship with every single human being. And I've had a relationship with Jesus for quite some time now, and he's been teaching me all sorts of things on this topic. In fact, he's still teaching me. But you know what? It doesn't really matter what I think. I would just start with Jesus and see where he leads you from there. And she just smiled at me and said, I'll consider that. I don't know where you are this morning, but my advice is the same to you. Just start with Jesus and see where he leads you from there. Maybe you've never had that thought or desire, or maybe today's the day. You just start and say, okay, Jesus, I'll start with you. Let's see where this goes. As we get ready to close our service, I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come forward. And, and at the conclusion of our service, if you want to make that decision today, today's a perfect day to do it. We just want to celebrate that with you. Just start with Jesus. Maybe for some of you, you've been following Jesus for quite some time now. And, and the Holy Spirit's been trying to get your attention, trying to get through your head and just to go, hey, stop for a second. Just stop. Slow down. Stop. 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 Restart with Jesus. I mean, that's the challenge for all of us this morning. No matter what we do next or think next or how we spend our day, what if we could just stop for a second and restart with Jesus? You know, Paul writes a letter to a church that's divided on all types of issues, a lot of which we've talked about over these last weeks. And, and yet Paul decides to conclude his letter to the church by saying, hey, guys, let's just stop for a second and let's all just come back to Jesus. Let's come back to Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Let's just come back and start with Jesus. Because when you start with Jesus and you realize what he has done and what he has accomplished through his resurrection, you begin to tap into the power that proves what we've all been longing for. The, the power of the resurrection, it proves that truth is stronger than lies. It proves that good is way stronger than evil. It proves that love is stronger than hate. It proves that life is much stronger than death. 
It proves that no matter where you are, you're not too far away to be in a relationship with Jesus today. And that life with Jesus just gets better. So let's start with Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand up. We're going to celebrate this morning. We're going to celebrate the power behind the belief. The power, the power that changed the world and changed our history still has the power to change you. We're going to celebrate that. The resurrection and the life. Let's sing out to him this morning and worship his name.